Have you ever known anyone other than perhaps a Jewish friend who didn't observe Christmas? Have you ever known a Christian who didn't believe in Christmas, who wanted nothing to do with trees and lights and gifts and especially Santa? You know, most of us probably think Christmas has become too commercial, that we've forgotten the reason for the season and we need to work at keeping Christ in Christmas. And apparently even cartoonists can feel that way. You know, after Farside retired, I started reading Bizarro. Sometimes I get it, sometimes I don't. But I think his point came through loud and clear on Christmas. Now, I hope you don't find this sacrilegious, but he pictured Jesus on a psychiatrist's couch saying, on my two biggest days of the year, I'm upstaged by fictional characters. <laughs> that may be bizarre, but I like it. I like it. Well, on the other hand, you know, some think celebrating Christmas at all is wrong, that its origins are actually pagan, and that it really has little to do with the birth of Christ. So how do you respond to that? And then what do we do with those who make Christmas into the most important time of the year, who go all out and call our faith into question if we don't observe Advent and light candles and decorate our homes and buy gifts for everyone, whether we can afford it or not. You know, maybe you didn't realize just how controversial Christmas can be. But yet, in spite of differing opinions on whether or how it should be celebrated, Christmas comes every year, and it isn't just a winter holiday. It's a religious observance, and as such, it's celebrated with deep feelings strong convictions, and sacred traditions. That's what makes religious observances so meaningful. But that's also what can turn them into the cause of serious conflicts, as it did for Jesus. It did so because he didn't follow all the rules pertaining to the religious observances of his day especially the Sabbath. So this morning we're going to jump back in our study of uh, the gospel and pick up that fourth question that was asked of Jesus or about him, a question about his failure to observe the rules. We're going back to the second chapter of Mark, verses 23 through 24. And it came about that he was passing through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples began to make their way along while picking the heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, See here, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Now the Sabbath was the primary religious observance the distinguished Jews from their neighbors. Every seventh day was a Sabbath day, a day of rest. Sabbath comes from a Hebrew word that means to desist or to break off, to stop doing something. 
And for the Jews, it meant to stop doing what they did the other six days of the week, to stop working. Now, the idea originated with God when he rested on the seventh day after creating the universe in six. Now, the word day in Genesis can mean more than a 24-hour period of time, so it's not necessary to conclude from Genesis that God created everything in six 24-hour periods. But the idea of working six days and resting on the seventh does come from God's resting after completing the work of creation. He blessed the seventh day, and he sanctified it. He set it apart as a reminder of the day he rested from his work of creation, the day which, according to Hebrews, continues even today. The six periods of time during which he created everything and his current rest from work are pictured in our seven-day week. And God ordained that we work six and rest one. The first time man was explicitly ordered not to work on the Sabbath was in the wilderness on the way to Sinai. While on their journey, God provided manna, bread from heaven, and he instructed the Israelites to gather what they needed every morning. If they tried to save some for the next day, it would spoil before they could eat it, except on the seventh day. On the sixth day, they were told to gather twice the regular amount and that God would preserve it for the seventh day because no manna would appear on the Sabbath. It was to be a day of rest. They were to stay in their tents and not go to the field on that day. And then when the Ten Commandments were given, God included a Sabbath day observance as a commandment. He said, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. You know, God said, you shall not do any work on the Sabbath. But the Jewish rabbis weren't content to leave it at that. They felt they had to define work. And they specified 39 different types of work that were prohibited. According to the Pharisees, Jesus' disciples committed four different illegal acts while walking through the grain field on the Sabbath. Now, as long as they didn't walk more than 2,000 cubits, a Sabbath day's journey, walking through the field was not illegal. And they weren't stealing when they plucked a few heads of grain. The law gave permission to enter a neighbor's standing grain and to pluck by hand a few uh, heads to eat. You just couldn't wield a sickle in your neighbor's field. The problem was that the disciples did this on the Sabbath. And in the eyes of the Pharisees, plucking the heads of grain was reaping. 
rolling the grains together to break loose the husks was threshing. Blowing the chaff away was winnowing, and making the grain fit to eat was preparing a meal. See here, they said, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus' answer gives the reason for doing so and God's reason for instituting the Sabbath. Continuing on, verses 25 through 28. And Jesus, he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and became hungry, he and his companions? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priests. And he gave it also to those who were with him. And he was saying to them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Consequently, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Why were the disciples picking heads of grain? Simple, they were hungry. They weren't defying God. They weren't even putting their needs above the law. They wouldn't have starved if they hadn't eaten those few grains. They were just innocently munching on granola. They weren't thinking about rules and regulations. They were just enjoying the day and God's bounty. If the Pharisees thought they were bending the rules to meet a felt need, what did they think about David and his companions as they ate the consecrated bread? They had no doubt read the account as found in 1 Samuel. David was running from Saul with a band of men when he stopped at Nob, where the tabernacle was located. He and his men were hungry, and David asked for some bread. The priest, Elimelech, who was Abiathar's father, said all they had was the consecrated bread, the bread of presence or showbread, that had been taken from the tabernacle after seven days as an offering before the Lord and was now the priest's bread. Now, the law had ordained that the bread be given only to the family of Aaron. But Ahimelech and said David and his men could have it if they were ceremonially clean, and David said they were, and they were given the bread. Now, technically, that was a violation of the law. And the legalistic rabbis had wrestled long and hard over it. They didn't like it. But to avoid accusing David of doing something wrong, they had to conclude that human need justified setting aside some rules and regulations. Now, obviously, that can be a slippery slope. Situational ethics of the 60s said anything can be justified as long as the motive is love. But that's going too far, and for two reasons. First, we don't always know what the most loving thing is to do because we can't see all the consequences of our actions. And secondly, and even more importantly, God has given us some absolutes that cannot be set aside. But still, the Bible does allow some flexibility in applying rules and regulations to situations, and David's eating the showbread was a case in point. Besides, 
Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. God's intent in establishing the Sabbath was to bless his people, to give them a day of rest, not to burden them with rules and regulations that would make the Sabbath into a day to be dreaded rather than enjoyed. The rabbis had turned it into something God never intended it to be. And the Pharisees had made themselves into lords of the Sabbath so they could lord it over people. But Jesus, referring to himself as the Son of Man, a title that the Pharisees would recognize as a messianic title, but that wouldn't inflame the passions of the people as would the Son of God, said he was Lord of the Sabbath. And as such, he not only knew God's reason for establishing the Sabbath, he knew his disciples were not violating the law by eating a few heads of grain. Declaring himself to be the Lord of the Sabbath, however, didn't set well with the Pharisees. And we've seen, we soon see the results. Mark 3. And he entered again into a synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they were watching him to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath in order that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Rise and come forward. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? But they kept silent. After looking around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, he said to him, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. And the Pharisees went out and immediately began taking counsel with the Herodians against him as to how they might destroy him. Now Luke makes it clear that this is another Sabbath. The Pharisees had had time to stew a bit after their last encounter with Jesus. He had silenced their accusation of breaking the law by eating grain on the Sabbath, by referring to David and the showbread, and now they hoped they could get him on another violation. A man with a withered hand was present in the synagogue that Sabbath, and they knew it. It's quite possible they had even arranged it. The law according to the rabbis, allowed for emergency treatment on the Sabbath, medical treatment to save a life or to stabilize someone for the day, but practicing medicine to make someone better was not allowed. That was work, and it could wait until after the Sabbath. But they knew Jesus was a man who responded to needs, who was compassionate and healed people whenever presented with the need. So they were watching to see if he would heal the man. His hand was withered. Tradition says it had been injured in a work-related accident, and Dr. Luke notes that it was his right hand. It obviously handicapped him and may have presented or prevented him from practicing his trade, but it wasn't a life-threatening condition. 
But Jesus saw him and no doubt knew that the Pharisees were watching as well. He said to the man, Arise and come forward. All eyes were on Jesus and the crippled man. Jesus then asked, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save a life or to kill? According to Matthew's account, he also asked, What man shall there be among you who shall have one sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will he not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value, then, is a man than a sheep? The watchers kept quiet. Jesus looked at them with with, with anger, grieved at the hardness of their heart, and he answered the question himself. It is lawful, he declared, to do good on the Sabbath. And then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. When he stretched it out, it was restored. Jesus didn't touch him. He didn't practice medicine. He didn't do anything except say, stretch out your hand. The Pharisees knew it was Jesus who had healed him, and it made them furious. They went out and immediately counseled with the Herodians, their political enemies, how they might destroy Jesus. Isn't it amazing how a common hatred can make strange bedfellows? The Pharisees who chaffed under Roman rule and the Herodians, Jews who supported Rome in order to keep Herod on the throne, were united in their hatred of Jesus. He challenged their authority. He violated their traditions. And he exposed their religious observances as petty legalism. And they didn't like it. Things that were important to them weren't important to him, and they couldn't handle it. What they didn't realize was that if they'd been sincere in their religious observances, if they had been motivated solely by love for God and a desire to please him, it wouldn't have mattered if Jesus had taught the freedom to express love for God in ways that differed from theirs, either would have been acceptable to God. Isn't that what the Apostle Paul taught us in Romans 14 when he wrote, Let not him who eats regard with contempt him who does not eat. And let him not who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and stand he will, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One man regards one day above another, another regards every day alike. Let each man be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord. And he who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat and gives thanks to God. And... As he said in Colossians 2, 16 and 17, Therefore, let no one act as your judge 
in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. It's our relationship with Christ that matters, not how we choose to celebrate that relationship. Religious observances can be very meaningful and very important to us, but let's not make them into tests of fellowship. What matters is not that we consecrate a day to the Lord, be it the Sabbath, Sunday, or even Christmas, but that we consecrate ourselves to him, that we consecrate all our days to him, and every moment of every day, that whatever we do, in word or in deed, we do in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks through him to God the Father. If you desire to consecrate your life to him this morning, I invite you to do so as we stand and sing.